Well, I, I get to sing a couple of verses with you. It's great. Turn this morning to First uh, Peter chapter three once again, as uh, we continue trying to absorb uh, Peter's instructions about living in a hostile world. Not always, but encountering hostilities, especially because of our association with Jesus Christ. And Peter has been instructing us, encouraging us to be ready to share our faith, explain our faith, defend our faith. And I spent a few extra time uh, on chapter 3, verse 15. We'll, we'll finish that, Lord willing, here this morning and then, and then move on. But I'm going to read 13, 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17 once again as we continue. And who is... And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, or set apart the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil." A lot of instruction in there. We're always to be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks us for a reason of the hope that is in us. It's every Christian's calling and responsibility to be ready, to be ready to do this. That should be a goal of ours. We should live in a way that we want to be further equipped to be able to do this. So how do you become ready? Well, we have already seen, you know, there's a couple basic things of how we become ready is that living with Christ as Lord in our hearts. That's the foundation of becoming ready is to live like he said there with Christ as Lord in our hearts and, and, and Christ's Lordship in our hearts with this living hope is what makes us different. He's our Lord, Lordship in our hearts. And, and we have this lively hope. And that hope, of course, is Jesus' second coming. And we've studied enough texts to try to prove that. We have the hope that the Lord is returning for us. And every believer can say that. My Lord is returning for me. That, you know, just say that to yourself sometimes. He's returning for me. That's that living hope. It's unassailable. Nothing can change it. It will happen. It's just a question of when. Not an if. That's the living hope. Not an if, but simply when. He will return. All the parables are like that, right? The master's gone. You don't know when he's coming back. But you know this. He is coming back. Right? That's right. That's the Christian hope. And that makes us different. 
to those around us who have no hope or their hope is in all these temporal things that evaporate. I mean, Aaron just said that. You know, he's worshiping all these things and they all, they all deflate. <laughs> they all deflate. And the longer you live without Christ, the more deflations you experience, right? <laughs> so our hope is different. It's unchangeable. It, it does not deflate. It's reserved in heaven for you. That's what Peter said in chapter 1. Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God to receive it. Are we ever going to get there to receive it? We are, because what? He says we're kept by the power of God for salvation and grace to be revealed in the last time. We're going to get there because He keeps us. And He will lose nothing, correct? He will lose nothing. So that's the Christian hope. So, so the basic way of being prepared here is living with Him as Lord in our hearts and this living hope that is unassailable by whatever happens in this world. That's the basic way to be prepared, to give people an answer. And, and the means of grace and so forth stir that hope up in us. Singing these great hymns stirs that hope up in us, doesn't it? That's, what, that's why we ought to sing. We ought to sing these hymns. It stirs up that hope when we sing these great hymns. Because it reminds us of, of the reality of our hope. So, the church in America would be revolutionized if what I'm saying here was real like it was for those New Testament saints. I have no doubt about that. The church in this country would be revolutionized if we experientially had this powerful of a hope like we see in the pages of the saints on the New Testament. We have too much you see, and that makes it more difficult for us. It's too easy, and we have too much. And it's dangerous. That kind of prosperity is dangerous for Christians. So enough on that. We could do a whole series on, on that subject. So, so that's how we're ready. The Lordship of Christ and this hope makes us ready. And we discussed last uh, Lord's Day how to give a reasoned defense of our hope to those who ask. And my, suge- my, my suggestions were by no means exhaustive. You know, we're not doing a topical subject on this. Just some suggestions I've made. You know, if the case is as Peter represents that someone has asked us, why are you different? This is a great open door. Why are you different? The asking can either be hostile or non-hostile. It comes both ways. Why are you different? Wherever we start, we know where we're going, where we want to go. And that is, is we want to get to the person work of Jesus Christ. And we want to, that's where we want to go with people. We want to get, not just arguing about the current moral depravities in our culture, and there are many, of course, We can argue all day about the current moralities in our culture and never say a word about Christ. That we do not want to do. Okay? Christ is who we want to talk about. Yes, His Lordship. Yes, His authority. Yes, He will have plenty to say about the moral travesties in our culture. But we must get to the Son of God whom God sent into our world to save us. And we must tell people that He is absolutely sufficient and capable of saving you. 
That means forgiving you and transforming you. He is able to do that. He is able. I don't care what your sins are here this morning and what they've been. Jesus Christ is able to forgive you and transform you and deliver you from whatever those bondages are. He is able to do that. And that's where we want to go when we respond. We want to introduce people to Jesus Christ. That's where we want to go. Okay? Because He's the wonderful Savior. And I don't know what else to say. So that's where we want to go. We know that's where we want to go when we respond. So we considered last week how we might respond to a non-hostile inquirer. And we were discussing, among other things, Christ's resurrection and challenging the unbeliever's unbelief. I have a few more things I'd like to say before we go to the hostile uh, side of the question. In defense of our hope, you know, when, when explaining and defining our hope, don't stop simply defending the resurrection. That's important. But if you have the opportunity, and you have to follow me here, it'll take a moment for you to grasp where I'm leading to here. But if you have the opportunity, you want to plant a seed like the one which got planted in Nicodemus's mind. We want to plant that kind of a seed. Now, some of you may not know specifically that, but I can't take the time. Many of you know Jesus' interview with Nicodemus. He got a seed planted in his head. And he said, Nicodemus said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Okay, Nicodemus is an unbeliever at that time, and he wasn't a believer that evening either. But he knew some things. And when we are giving a historical defense, there's rational defenses, there's historical defenses, there's different types of defenses. We're talking here about a historical defense. And when we're giving a historical defense of our hope, we, of course, are going to defend the reality of Jesus' resurrection. And we also ought to include his miracles in that historical defense. Nicodemus came to the right conclusion after witnessing some of Jesus' miracles, didn't he? We know that you, Jesus, are a teacher come from God. He came to the right conclusion after he saw those miracles. And of course, unbelievers are going to say, well, I haven't gotten to witness any of Jesus' miracles. And we say, well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus knows the following is good enough. And you quote them, John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So, Jesus thought that was good enough. That John, as the witness, was good enough. And Jesus had John select seven. Seven miracles. So that you may believe. What? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. What? And what? The Son of God. 
It's about Him. It's what you think about Him. And these signs, historically testified to by John the Apostle, are sufficient to remove every excuse you may have for not believing in this man, Jesus. When Jesus' designed witnesses bear witness, all our excuses in the sight of God are taken away. Believe me, if you're here this morning unbelieving in Jesus Christ, and you've heard the gospel from the witnesses and the apostles that Jesus has set up, you will have no excuses on the last day as to why you were part of that perverse generation that would not believe in Him. Okay, don't end up there. So Nicodemus, that's the seed. He had it planted. That's the seed you want to plant. If Jesus really did perform these seven miracles which John witnessed and wrote about and rise from the dead, then it is most reasonable to believe what Jesus taught to believe his words. If this is a historical reality, the most reasonable thing is to believe what Jesus says. There's no middle ground. If you believe this is a historical reality, then you must believe the words of Jesus Christ. He's absolutely qualified He's shown his credentials. So you move from realizing historically who he is, the miracles he worked, and he rose from the dead, and you move from that to believing what he says. And what he ha- he's had a lot to say about us, hasn't he? He sure has. And if you don't know what that is, you need to figure it out. <laughs> I, I lived 20 plus years without ever having any idea what he said about me. Until by God's grace, I read the Gospels. Now I begin to know Jesus has a lot to say about me. Bad and good. Okay? You're lost, but I can save you. Okay? It always goes together. Yeah, you're in deep, deep trouble. But I'm bigger than all your trouble. That, that's basically what you'll find when you read the Gospels. That's what you'll hear Jesus say. Jesus will say, you are in deep, deep trouble. You are lost. And there's no life in you. But, I can undo all of that. And more. Those are the two things you're going to hear him say. And he's going to show that he's qualified to do that. That he has the credentials. So that's the seed you want to plant. Is I ought to be listening to Jesus. I ought to be hearing what he has to say. See, you're not going to be saved because you simply believe Jesus rose from the dead. Now that's important. You're not going to be saved just because you believe Jesus rose from the dead. You can be saved only by believing in him and calling upon him to save you. There's a big difference between confessing a key doctrinal point and acting upon it. All right, you believe Jesus rose from the dead. 
what are you going to do in view of that fact? See, in view of that historical fact, what are you going to do? I am going to come to Him. And I am going to trust and believe in Him. And I'm going to call upon Him to save me. That's what I'm going to do. Okay? Many stop right between those two points. Okay? And you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Believing in Him, and that's what John said, that we might believe in Him. So, and here's one of Jesus' wonderful promises, and He uses that word. Everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him. See right there? Everyone who sees the Son, that means understands the Son, has understood who the Son is, and realizes who Jesus is. Everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life. And I will raise Him up at the last day. That's the second coming. That's, that's how it works. So the only way to see the Son is to hear His words. That's the only way to see the Son is to hear His words. And we have those words in the Gospels. So that's the seed. If Jesus worked those miracles and rose from the dead. We know he's from God and we need to hear what he's had to say. You want to plant that seed. Remember that God sent his son into our world. This was connected with last week's message. He sent his son into into our world seeking reconciliation with us. Our relationship with God is the most important relationship, and it is broken. And it's broken big time. And God sends His Son into our world to reconcile us. That means restore the relationship between Him and us. And that relationship's broken is because we're rebels. (laughs) We are rebellious lot. We are stiff-necked, rebellious people to use what the Lord described Israel as. That's why the relationship is broken. We rebel against His authority. Okay? And He's not going to repent. He's not going to change His standards of what is right and wrong and His expressions of authority. A lot of, a lot of religions try to make, make God as just the one who repents, right? Oh God, your standards are too high. You need to change. Those rules are unreasonable. What They want God to repent. Wait a minute, that's backwards. We're the ones that are called to repent in order to be reconciled. And we ought to bow down and say, God, you are right. And I am wrong. Have mercy on me. It's that simple. That's repentance. God, you are right. And I am wrong. See, that's a big what? Change of mind. That's repentance. 
So praise God for that. Now, our goal is to get people to begin to listen to Jesus himself on the pages of the Gospels. If you haven't read the Gospels, get it open and read it. And read it to discover who Jesus really is. And that's from that faith comes. Faith comes by hearing, hearing of the word concerning Christ. Do it. His word is powerful. So that's the seed you kind of want to plant. Get people interested in who Jesus is. All right, so moving on. Okay, what if it's a hostile encounter, you know? In such a case, your defense may have to take on a different approach. It's a hostile encounter. When the asking is an accusation, then you may have to defend yourself. By that I mean give an explanation for your behavior, which is under attack, whatever that behavior may be. Peter has this in mind in verse 16. He says, see, having a good conscience, you're, you're following God, you're following, you had a clear conscience that you're obeying Him, having a good conscience, what? That when they defame you as evildoers, okay, they're going to call you evildoer, even though you have a good, clear conscience now with God, they're going to call you an evildoer those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. You see, they are reviling you because you, you are following Christ. Your conduct is good and right. And they are reviling you because of your good conduct in Christ. Okay. Now that's a hostile encounter. So... What Peter envisions here, you see, is not slander. This is not slander. You know, slander is a false report of practicing evil. Like, like the early Christians were slandered that, you know, they sacrificed babies and drank their blood. That's slander. Okay? And they said that because of their secretive meetings. The Lord's Supper. They, they, they said that. What are they doing? They don't allow us into those meetings. <laughs> they fenced the table, didn't they? <laughs> They fenced the table. They didn't just allow anybody into the Lord's Supper. So, oh, it's some kind of secretive religious rite. And they're sacrificing children and drinking their blood. Now, that's slander. Now, that's not what Peter is dealing with here. What Peter is dealing with here, they've actually seen righteous behavior. And they're reviling you for your righteous behavior. You know, what's wrong with you? You won't go out with us and party anymore. Okay? What's wrong with you? See, that's what Peter has envisioned here. That's the type of thing. You know, what's wrong with you? You didn't jump in and agree with me when I was slamming that other person. You didn't get on my side of the argument. Why didn't you do that? You really want to know? Because <laughs> your argument stinks. <laughs> So I just decided to keep silent. <laughs> you know, sinners always want that. They want everybody to come to their side. And when you won't do that, some of them get really mad. 
And that's what happens when you become a Christian. You can't, I can't go and defend that person. And they get ticked. Because you won't defend them. Why not? You're going to have to explain why you won't. You see, in that hostile kind of encounter. Okay, why don't you go out and party with us anymore? Here you profess that it's because Jesus is your Lord. Don't just say, well, I think it's wrong to do that. No, no. Why is it wrong? That's the issue. Why is it wrong? I don't do that any longer because Jesus is my Lord. And I will respect His authority. And you have set apart the Lord Jesus in your heart. That's the answer to those accusing questions. You know, you might think about these. You know, Jesus calls me not to do that with my body. That'll blow people away, but that's true. Jesus says, my body, created by God, is for his glory. And he says, my body is not for sexual immorality. It's not. That's why I have this wonderful body. It's not for that use. Nor did he create my mind to be turned into scrambled eggs by drugs. He gave me this wonderful mind. I now realize that I'm created in his image. And my life is a stewardship that he's given to me to use for his honor and glory. So, So that's why, that's why, See, that doesn't take too long. That takes like two minutes or three minutes to explain. And then you can tell you can tell your lost friends, I don't want you to scramble your brain either. And neither does Christ want you to scramble your brain or whatever. See? I mean, and there's all kinds of subjects like that. You know, you can talk to the corporate executive that's all about power and glory. Okay? You can talk about those kind of things. You know, we worship all kinds of stuff. So, that's how you respond to a hostile. Jesus is my Lord, and this is the impact that it's had. That's powerful when you have an opportunity to do that. It almost makes you, go ahead. Slant, go ahead. Try to bite my head off so I get to respond. <laughs> okay. You know, you almost feel like that. Lord, give us an opportunity. Give me an opportunity to confess you, Lord Jesus. You know, we should pray that prayer, you know? And, and we'll see that in a moment. But, but, but give us an opportunity. Give me an opportunity to proclaim who you are. So... That's how it may go down with a hostile encounter, you know. Why are you doing this? Or why won't you do this any longer? Or why don't you do this? You know, why don't you do this? And don't just say the Bible says, but say Jesus says. 
or Jesus calls me, or Jesus commands me. Speak that way. And then immediately you've gotten where you wanted to go, right? You wanted to talk about Jesus, and you've gotten there. As soon as you say that, you've gotten there. Jesus commands me. Jesus calls me. You've made it personal as it is. You know, you can explain that. You know, the content that you revile, the Lord Jesus calls me to practice. <laughs> right? That, isn't that the truth? The conduct that you revile, the Lord Jesus calls me to practice. That's what the apostles told the Sanhedrin. We cannot but speak what we've heard. You're telling us to shut our mouths about Jesus, and we're telling you we can't do that because he's called us to speak in his name. That's a, you know, that's a false religion setting, those Pharisees. But it's the same principle. The conduct that, that you revile, the Lord Jesus calls me to practice. He loves me and bled and died for me. His love constrains me to respect and obey him. That's the answer to your accusing questions. See, now, now you can bring in his love. I'm constrained by his love. Paul says that. The love of Christ, what? Constrains us. The more you know he loves you, the more you'll be constrained to follow him. And you have to know that. You have to know that he loves you. And what that really means. You've got to get there. That will sanctify you more than being terrified of hell ten times over. Coming to a realization of His mercy and love will sanctify you a hundred times more than fearing an eternal hell. Now we slipped into the doctrine of sanctification, but you know we love Him because He first loved us. Right? Right. And if you love me, what? You'll obey me. So this is Christ-centered in our gospel. And we talk to our own children this way. doesn't have to be people out there. As you're helping your children learn the gospel, talk to them the same way. So some thoughts then on how, you know, how to respond to those that, that are hostile, that are reviling you for your good behavior, how, how to respond. So get ready. <laughs> think through what you will say in a hostile encounter. I think it's good to think about it ahead of time. I, I know Matthew 10 says we don't need to think ahead of time and get ready. Both of these texts are true. Okay, they can both be true. There you go. Two truths that are true. Don't worry about what you're going to say. In that moment, the Holy Spirit will give you what you're going to say. And He really does do that. He really does do that. There will be times you go, Oh man, I wish I could have taken notes at what I said. <laughs> It just happened, and it was good. And I can't remember it all now. I wish I could have taken notes. You'll experience that when you confess your faith in situations. You'll, you'll experience that. So both get ready, and, and even if you're not, uh, the Lord will make you ready at times in those hostile situations. Okay, Peter has another exhortation for us. We're finally moving on. We are to give our defense with meekness and respect. Oh, wow. Look at that. 
Set apart the Lord God in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now it's not about the what, it's about the how. How are we going to do this? Now the Savior on whom our hope rests was gentle and lowly in heart. You know, if anybody had a right to be proud, <laughs> it would have been the Lord Jesus, correct? <laughs> he was just the opposite. He is lowly in heart. Gentle and lowly in heart. That's our Savior upon whom our hope is built. Lowly and gentle in heart. Surely we should be the same as we defend our hope. We should be like Him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this is that they understood that following Christ inevitably leads to being rejected and dishonored. They just understood that from the start. To follow him, you will be rejected and dishonored by men. But they understood that that is actually honor in the sight of God. That's an honor in the sight of God. They went away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame, suffer disgrace. They understood what Jesus had taught them. This is a great honor. And such thinking will help us meekly receive rejection. That's the point I'm getting to. If you understand, when they're reviling you, Jesus says, leap and dance and rejoice. For great is your reward in heaven. And for so they treated the prophets. When they're reviling you, bing, 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 I'm in the best of company. I'm in company with the prophets. I'm in company with Jesus himself. And if that is real to you, that will help you respond with meekness and gentleness. What's actually going on when they begin to revile you is Jesus is honoring you. I'm going to honor my servant. I'm going to bring to pass in my servant's life what is one of the highest honors I could bestow on him? Rejection for my name's sake. You're being rejected for the name's sake, for Jesus' name. And if you keep that in mind, and the blessing and the honor that that is, you will be able to be meek if you keep that in mind. That's part of it, of being able 
to respond with meekness and gentleness when they are responding and reviling you. Jesus is Lord. He knows what's going on. He sees what's going on. And we have to remember that in these hostile encounters. And that'll help us respond with meekness and gentleness. That'll be to be like Jesus, okay? And that's what he's doing, right? What, what is he doing? He's making you like him. I mean, is there anything more wonderful than that? There isn't. <laughs> that's what he's doing. He's making you like him. He was meek and lowly. And he didn't have any sin. How many times over? <laughs> Move on. <laughs> so, so he calls us to respond with meekness and respect. Oh, one other thing about uh, meekness here. James tells us that, quote, the wisdom from above is first pure, second Who knows what's second on the list of the wisdom from above? Anybody? Shout it out. What what do you think? What? Ah, not yet. (laughs) You're close. What is it? Peaceable. The wisdom from above is first pure. Second, peaceable. Third, gentle. Okay. So who is wise among you? Oh, boy, James has quite a different definition of wisdom, doesn't he? The wisdom from above is first pure. Second, it's peaceable. Third, gentle. Our translations have different, different words there, but isn't... See, see, see we're, we're, being, we're being called to respond with wisdom. That meekness and respect is a why wise response and it's a demonstration that you have become wise when we respond that way according to James's definition of wisdom and he goes of wisdom and respect or fear uh, very briefly on that of fear keeping the context in mind we could defend either either way there about fear. Does that mean uh, with meekness and respect or fear, does that mean respect of man or fear of man or God in that text? With meekness and fear. The term there really is phobos. It really is fear, which could mean, which can mean respect. And a lot of translations put it that way. And so is that talking about the respect of men, even those who are reviling you, or is it talking about fearing God? Respond to them with meekness and in in fear to God. There's not an easy... I mean, both of those are good, right? (laughs) And, And the context in 1 Peter 3, we've already seen that we ought to respect the authorities that are above us. We saw that in 1 Peter chapter 2. And the word fear is actually used there in that chapter, that we are to respect the authorities that God has placed over us. But also, we could talk the fear here means fear of God. 
meekness toward man and fear toward God. And in, in chapter 3, verse 14, remember, we were exhorted, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify Christ in your hearts. The continuation from Isaiah of that quote, you that were here, that quote that Peter quotes is coming from Isaiah chapter 8. And the continuation of that quote in Isaiah 8.13 reads, But the Lord of hosts you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Which is why you could have an exegetical argument that we're not here talking about respecting man or, or fearing man in a respectful way. We're back to the context of the verse earlier that we are to let God be our fear. So either of those things are very good. Okay, We ought to respect the authorities over us with great respect. We saw that. And we are to fear God. So just, you know what, just do both. Okay, <laughs> let's just do that. Okay, and, and yet I've, I've, I've tried to be faithful with the text. So, some conclusions here. We'll wrap this up. Seek to be ready. Set apart the Lord Jesus in our hearts, in your hearts. Set Him apart as Lord and enjoy the living hope that He is surely returning for you. And study to learn and defend the central doctrines of the faith. Absolutely. Be ready includes that. Learning the central doctrines of the faith and and, and being able to communicate them and defend them. Absolutely. And and as churches, we we ought to be equipping one another uh, in that. And seek to understand the thinking and the experience of unbelievers. That, that's a whole other dimension of this subject. We're not doing a topical subject, but it is helpful to understand the experience of unbelievers and the thinking of unbelievers, okay? And, you know, we can, we can learn that directly by experience ourselves, or we can also learn that from our brothers and sisters. Uh, our brothers and sisters that once were unbelievers. And, and you get to know them and they share with you their experience of what it was like to be an unbeliever and how they thought while they were unbelievers. You know, we don't all come up the same. But understanding how the person you're trying to evangelize thinks and what they've experienced is really a part of this. And we're not going into that, but it's helpful. And we won't all be able to witness to everyone the same because our knowledge and experience is different. There are people that you'll be much more able to witness to than I am. Okay? And vice versa. Anyway, so seeking to be ready, make it our goal. Now, last sub-point here. Ask the Lord for both the opportunities and the equipping. 
A few of you really encouraged me. You said, you know, I, I went out and I did exactly what you said. I, I prayed for opportunities, and before the week was over, boom, boom. <laughs> I had them. Two, two of you have told me that. So, so uh, ask for those opportunities and for the equipping. Now listen to one of the most experienced evangelists that ever lived. Who's that? Paul. Okay. Listen to what he said. Now, now, this is what the most experienced evangelist who ever lived said. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word. To speak the mystery of Christ. See, that's where he wants to go, right? That's where he wants to go. Open us a door to speak the mystery of Christ. For which I am also in chains. He was imprisoned when he wrote this. And listen to this. That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. The most experienced evangelist there ever was is asking those Colossians, pray for me that I can make it manifest and speak as I ought to speak. Well, if Paul needed that, where does that leave us? We need help. And we ought to pray for that. Pray for that help. Okay, we're going to be praying here this evening. And if you've never come to an all-church prayer meeting, you're very welcome. You won't have to pray out loud. And uh, we share requests, and then we just pray, pray together. A great way to start a start to new year. So let's, let's pray. Oh, our Father, uh, wow, your power, your plan, your wisdom, uh, your Son, uh, your Holy Spirit, these are wonderful, wonderful things that you have swept us into your wonderful plan of redemption. How we thank you for the commitment of sending your Son twice, Lord. The first time, not to condemn the world, Lord, but that our world might be saved through him. Thank you for that first sending. And Lord, help us more clearly look forward to his second advent. And Lord, forgive us when we start loving the world. Oh Lord, refine our affections. Deliver us from the lies of the evil one, the present entrapments that always fizzle, false hopes, that never really pan out. Lord, you are so good. Help us see your goodness through your Son. And thank you that you are sending them again. Lord, help equip us further as individuals and as a church. Oh, we praise and thank you for the opportunities to make the gospel known that you have been giving us. We ask for more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.